the island of saints and scholars and gum beans and fucking arse lickers. Money, 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 money. Seems to make the world go down, so won't you tell me why? Hi folks, welcome to the Saint and Scholar podcast. This is your weekly or currently bi-weekly catch-up with uh, me, Mick, and my cousin Colin in Durham. Um, life's pretty good, I hope everybody's okay. I hope you all invested in GameStop. And um, yeah, man. Uh, how are you doing, Col? Oh, I'm not too bad. I, um, I sat that one out myself, but I did observe <laughs> it closely. It was... Uh... It was fascinating, really. Um, still, it's still to be determined the final outcome. I think this is a long war of position they've established between themselves and American monopoly finance capital, which uh, is undefeated uh, historically <laughs> speaking. But who knows? Maybe these redditors are going to do what no one else has managed to do, which would be glorious. My favorite tweet on it was. Uh, GameStop is still more accurately valued than Tesla. <laughs> yeah. No, but but they're also, I think these guys are also kind of responsible for Tesla being valued that highly. Like they have, yeah. they have, they love Elon for whatever reason. Yeah. And they have juiced that stock. Yeah. Which is also like all those, a lot of Wall Street has tried to short Tesla like 15 times that. over at this point. Yeah. And they just like keep losing. <laughs> Although, you know, inevitably... There's a lot of like Enron vibes off of Tesla. Yeah. And I don't know if you remember that. Yeah. Guy. The smartest but guys in the room. I remember that documentary. <laughs> yeah. Another Houston, just like the Houston Astros. Maybe there's something in the water down there, you know? Well, here's uh, the thing. Here's the thing. I mean, is there not like, I'm not going to say an expiry date on a short. Like how long can they keep pumping money into it? Like what's the, yeah. what's the position? Like what's their position? I don't know. I don't really understand a lot of the mechanics of kind of uh, all that sort of trade. But I think in a short, technically, you're you're essentially borrowing the stock from somebody else. You yeah. sell it immediately with the plan of buying it back at a cheaper price, returning the original to the person you borrowed from, and then keeping the difference in terms yeah. of... But I think in this case, the price went up. So like anyone who had a short including this one hedge fund sort of lost like three and a half billion dollars because <laughs> the stock all the, the, the amount of stock they had to return all of a sudden each unit was worth 260 bucks when they thought it was going to be worth like four dollars or something you know <laughs> um, but yeah it's pretty wild um, yeah it's it's a win for the a win for the trolls uh. yeah <laughs> Yeah, and, and like we have to take comfort in these little victories, really. You know. Yeah. Well, the thing is about, and I'm not a very on the internet person. You had to actually tell me what Reddit was, and this was like <laughs> 18 months ago. This wasn't in like 2010 or something. Um, but there are just like network effects. You know what I mean? That like are capable of impacting real life. You know. So in this case their little Reddit channel has like two and a half million people yeah. that are like constantly interacting. And so 
remarkably these collection of trolls for the crack. Um, like a lot of them don't even seem like one guy, my dad saw on the news had made like $20 million, but he hadn't sold anything. Cause he was just like, he didn't seem to really care. He was just like, um, but they overcame like all the collective action problems that have like befuddled political activism. Like all these guys genuinely like didn't sell the stock. They all just fucking held as it like crashed or whatever. And they like, you know, it's kind of like a remarkable achievement in organizing. Um, but yeah, I saw a lot of the comments. Hold, hold. Yeah. And they have their own little language. They have diamond fists, which I guess means like never let go or something. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's wild. Bless them. Yeah. Bless them. I yeah. think I think the problem now is you're going to have fucking like legit traders, you know, hedge fund guys in there mm -hmm. who will try to manipulate them oh, in different sure. directions. You know, for it'll, sure. It'll it'll be a whole like game of like who's insider and who's outsider. And, you yeah. know, it'll be a whole cat and mouse thing. Well, look, it'd be interesting to watch. Build up their counterintelligence capacities, you know? Yeah. Um. Yeah, how are the sheep? The sheep are pretty good. Um, we're down to uh, like maybe a dirty dozen left to have lambs. Um, so the lack of a pod last week was due to the fact that I hadn't slept in a long time. <laughs> um, yeah, man, it, it was uh, it was rough there for about eight nine days. For, for literally from from the time we had our previous pod eight or nine days it was like you know 80 90 euros gained maybe even more and it was just absolute like i'm not gonna say chaos because i knew what i was doing but it was just really really hard work and it just didn't stop it just didn't stop i had my like i have my record i've I, I delivered seven lambs in the space of like 10 to 12 minutes i'd say um <laughs> and uh it was funny, like my, my dad, so my dad went out and uh, he looked into the sheep shed and he came into me and he said, oh, Mick, I think there's a head sticking out of one in the shed. And I was like, oh, OK. So I went out and sure enough, there was a like a head. So if you see the head sticking out, OK, so if you see just a head sticking out, you're like, that's trouble because you can't deliver just a head. It's got to come out like sort of Superman style mm -hmm. legs, front legs first, head on top. And um, so I caught the sheep and I kind of shoved the head back in and got the legs up and got the got the lamb out and it was a single lamb so it was quite a large lamb and um, so it was a single lamb came out of this yo and she then turned around and she was like licking the lamb as you do and uh or as a sheep does and um another yo came over and was like kind of it seemed a bit uh I don't know how you'd possessive of this lamb that was not hers and when she turned around i saw that she had a head sticking out of her so this was all in the space of like 60 seconds i'm like oh shit there's another one there so i caught her and there was three lambs in her and i got the three of them out successfully it was all good and when the three lambs were on the ground another yo came over and she had a head sticking out and she had another three lambs just like that and my dad was standing <laughs> was just standing there looking at this whole thing happening he goes well, that's a surprise. Like that's, you know, that's an unusual thing to happen. Um, but it all, it all came good. Like all, all of them survived and we have like quite a large percentage of triplets. 
and triplets that that like lived. It's really common. It's common enough to have triplets, but it's really, really common to just lose one of them because it's a runt. You know, it doesn't get fed enough or whatever happens. Like there's one that's like just not quite right a lot of the time. But no, we have 10 sets of triplets now and they're all good and happy and healthy. And we, we've put them together in their own little shed and we're going to get them fed and minded and taken care of before we let them out to grass. Like normally we would have every, like a lot of stuff out of grass already, but we don't have it out of grass because um, the weather's been really shit and we're keeping the triplets in for a few weeks longer so they can bond better with the mother, get hardier before they see the outside. Just for their own, it's not for the sake of intensive farming or anything like that. It's literally just for the sake of them being closer to their mothers and being able to get feed more conveniently from the mothers. So, yeah, it's going pretty well. We had some really uh, interesting cases, if you want to hear about them. Well, indulge me. Okay, right. So, first of all, we had a yo with listeriosis, right, which basically means we were. it's a kind of gamble to do it, but we were feeding the sheep silage. And occasionally, if there's mold on silage, sheep uh, fucking... For the non-agriculturalists, tell them what silage is. Oh, Jesus, if you don't know what silage is. Um... Well, if you're not an agriculturist, <laughs> there's no reason you would know what silage okay. is. Well, silage is basically where you cut down the grass and instead of chopping it up and, and making like... Or okay, instead of letting it dry and make hay from it or chop yeah. it... Uh, or actually even chopping it up and putting it in a pit for silage. What, what we do now these days is we wrap it up in a bale and then wrap it in plastic and kind of let it ferment and it holds better uh, nutritional value that way. Uh-huh. But occasionally if water gets in, like if crows peck the plastic or any of that stuff, you might get some mold. And that's mm. problematic with sheep, especially in lamb yos, they get this listeriosis thing. So anyway, this one yo got listeriosis and delivered her two lambs and then died. Um, and the two lambs were left and it was uh, kind of grim. It was like this dead yo in the corner of the shed with two baby lambs that were just like a day old. But it was at the height of lambing. So what we did was, and this is going to sound gross, but it worked out absolutely fantastically well. Um, another yo was having a lamb. So the first, uh, so we we try adoption in that case. So... Mm-hmm. Right beside the pen where the dead yo was, a, uh, another yo decided to have a lamb. And she was having a single lamb. But when it came out, it was not particularly large. So I was like, oh, it looks kind of the same as one of the guys in the, in the, of the, one of the orphans, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I had prepped before this one started having a lamb just in case. So I had a bucket of warm water with no suds and while I held the one sheep and delivered her lamb, I grabbed one of the orphans and I dunked it, washed it off completely in the water and then took it out. And behind the yo, as she was delivering her own lamb, I covered it in the afterbirth <laughs> and placenta and amniotic fluid and literally rubbed it blood everything just rubbed it into his head into his ass everywhere completely soaked him in this stuff washed it in and the o turned around and must have been like fuck i didn't think i had two lambs but (laughs) but then sure enough she starts licking all the stuff off the lamb and is like confused but takes up with the lamb and the lamb is just a hungry little lamb and he gets a drink and he's happy and he's been adopted 
Um, and then so I, she wouldn't feed one that's not her own, and no, she no, knows, no, she knows it's her own by the taste after the birth. Yeah, yeah, by the smell and everything, she yeah. knows they all. The uh, yo will know its own man. So that that's how that worked, and I was like, oh, brilliant! That was successful. So, <laughs> so then, uh, less than twenty four hours later, another one was having a lamb, and she was having twins. So I I tried the same trick, but what happened was like. What happened was she lost. The reason I tried the same trick was because she threw out a dead lamb. The first lamb that came out of her was dead for no like apparent reason. It was just dead. It was just born dead. And right. the, the second lamb was fine. And this one was like more straightforward. So I grabbed the lamb from the uh, from the dead yo. I grabbed the orphan, dunked him in the water, and then lay him behind her. And she still hadn't popped her like bubble of amniotic fluid. So I just literally lay him behind her, cut the bag of amniotic fluid and just completely soaked him in it and it was a successful adoption number two <laughs> yeah yeah pretty it takes amazing a village they say it takes a village yeah, yeah. so that was a, that was a good one so that was a win that was a that was a win like when when you have a lost lamb but you're you managed to successfully adopt one that's a win um, is this just ingenuity or is this a, a uh, this is a, it's, a, it's a known practice it's a known practice well jesus so here's another one. So, <laughs> so when, so that's like, that's the ideal practice when the lambs are the right ages and, you know, they kind of match up pretty well, you know. Uh, so there was a less than ideal practice today. There was a yo who lost a lamb and it was a single lamb. And we had uh, uh, another, not an orphan actually, but we had uh, a yo who had twins, but only had one spin, like one boob, shall we say. And mm -hmm. she wasn't going to be able to raise the two of them. One of them would certainly die. Well, it wouldn't die. We would end up pet feeding it as a pet with a bottle. And that's how it would go. And it would just, it would just drag on. It would be a mess. And you wouldn't know which one to take from the yo. So we took one of her lambs and uh, brought the yo up, the yo who'd had the dead lamb up and put her in an adoption crate where basically you stick her head out the front uh, and you kind of hold it. It's like being in stocks for all the world you know this is the mechanical you know peter wouldn't like its side of farming but uh her head is in like in stocks is out and then you take the dead lamb that she's not sure is dead and you kind of hold it in front of her and then you put it behind her to where it would be going to drink and then you grab then you substitute it for this other lamb that's been around for like a few days and is hardy and hungry and right. you let you let it get a suck and then it only you only have to keep her in the crate for a few days, maybe a week, and eventually she gets used to this other lamb sucking, even though it doesn't have the smell or any of that sort of stuff. And because her head's been away from it for like the bones of a week, she eventually takes up with it as it's her own, you know. And so, you yeah. have to live with the guilt. Of you just have to it. live with the guilt of separating a happy family, even though yeah. one of them was going to die. Um, and then we had another. Uh, unusual win this was a this was a weird win this one was uh so a yo had two lambs and when i went to pay, like she had them by herself actually in the shed and when i went to bring them up to the uh how do you say this into the lambing pen or the how, how would you describe it kind of the isolation pen where basically like there's like a little box like a four foot by five foot or four foot by four foot like pen where you just put the sheep and its own lambs or lamb so that they can just be together and not be disturbed by anything else and the lamb can learn to suck and everything can you know go good before you let it out in the field so 
as I was carrying up the two lambs, I noticed that one of them had started to put his guts out through where his uh, um, his umbilical cord was. And I was like, oh, shit, that's not good. And I was like, I hope this doesn't go back. And then, like, literally within two minutes, he had almost all of his guts out, like, like... Uh, <laughs> like a fistful of guts were on the outside of his belly. This happens with um, human children as well. But uh, so all of his guts were on the outside of his belly. And uh, I was like, oh, look, and the reality of it is this, right? You could just like, that's a dead lamb. Like that's a dead lamb to like call the vet and do surgery and all that sort of stuff. You're, you're talking about like much more expense than a lamb's worth. Mm-hmm. But that lamb got a lucky break because there was a yo who had a dead lamb deep in her that didn't pass it and had already had two lambs and it was a third one. And I like I've had it seems like I've made this mistake a couple of times, but I didn't make this mistake. She whatever. She just didn't pass it up into the into the channel. So I couldn't get it. So anyway. Uh, we realized that she wasn't cleaning, which means passing her like placenta or whatever. So we were like, oh, man, maybe there's a lamb there. So I went looking and there was a lamb and it was dead and there was no way I was going to get it out. So we called the vet. And so the vet comes. I love this guy. He's so funny. Um, the vet comes and he comes with a carving knife and uh, like he knows how to remove a dead lamb from a yo. So like. Uh, piece by piece he takes this lamb out like out with the leg cuts off the leg out with the head cuts off the head out with another leg cuts that off then he gets a piece of string and he like stitches it up into the lamb's body and pulls it out he doesn't he doesn't work for Saudi intelligence no he does he does not work for Saudi intelligence but like it's a really it's a really interesting one. Like you couldn't do it like like a normal person just wouldn't have the technical know how to do this. Right. Like, you know, so he did it. And like, it sounds really gross, but he did a great job. Like and we were like in the height of lambing at this time. So like it was fucking like lambs popping out left, right and center. So this was in the individual lambing pen. So there's like 40 of them basically in the back shed. So in the passway in between all these lambing pens, he's in one lambing pen, like removing all of this dead lamb from a yaw. And he's like throwing the bits out into a pile in the passway. And when he's done doing it, I say to him, come here, look, this guy across the way who's just been born, his guts are out. And he kind of looked at him and he was like, well, sure, we'll give it a go for the crack. So myself and dad got this lamb, got this baby lamb and held it while he like injected it with like painkiller and whatever in its stomach, uh, washed his guts that had little bits of straw and stuff on it, picked all the bits that wouldn't, shouldn't be there out, washed it in a little bit of lukewarm water, cut him up, the cut up his belly a little bit more and stuffed his guts back in with his thumb and then stitched him up and gave him some antibiotics, right? And then he was like, look, this this lamb has like a one in five chance that he'll make it because if there's a twist in the gut or if something goes wrong, he won't pass his food and he'll just kick the bucket. And he has a one in five chance. But look, I was here. I wouldn't like come out to do this, especially because it would be a waste of everybody's time and money and the lamb's going to die anyway. So here we are almost 10 days later and that lamb is fine. That lamb is good. It's up. It's drinking and like it's doing really well. 
Um, so that's a surprise. And that yo that was really sick, that yo is also fine. That yo that passed the dead lamb, that he took the dead lamb on is also fine. Um, and, you know, we kept her on a course of antibiotics and she was fine. But here's here's a funny thing. So like about 10 minutes after all of this carnage, I'm trying to get two baby lambs to suck their mother. And my sister's kids arrive. And Maeve is, what is she, seven years of age or six or seven years of age? And Oshin is like eight or nine years of age. And eight years of age, sorry. And they, they walk in and they just want to look at the baby lambs. And I'm like, I'm like waving at Jimmy because Jimmy's their dad. And I was like, no, you don't want to come down this aisle because like in the aisle is like a lamb cut into six different bits, like just left there in the middle of the aisle. And I was like, you don't want to come down here. And sure enough, Maeve and Ushin walk around the corner and John and they get like a really good look at this absolutely gruesome, horrific scene of like a pile of dead flesh with a head left on top of it. And, um, <laughs> and they were like deeply disturbed. <laughs> so I was like, oh, my God. So I was like, no, Jimmy, get them away. And anyway, Jimmy was like, you know, you know, he didn't see actually what was there. Eventually they walked away and they went they went on their way and they went home. But the kids apparently were talking about it a lot with Eilish you know, talking about this. And John, the oldest kid, who's like 11, I suppose, is like, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. It was it was horrible. And um, so, yeah, so that was traumatizing for them. <laughs> but there's a there's a happy ending. <laughs> well, I won't say it's a happy ending, but there's a, there's another ending. So basically, um, we had let out a bunch of lambs into the field at the back of their house. And I don't know what the hell happened because it was one of the earliest lambs to be let out. So it was big and strong and hardy. But one of the lambs just died. It just like decided to go under a, a bale of like under a silage rack and just lie down and die. Like this weird shit just happens sometimes. And uh, Maeve discovered it, discovered this dead lamb and was talking about it with her mom. And, and I think it was... Uh, like almost a positive because she said it looks so peaceful <laughs> as opposed to being like decapitated and <laughs> disemboweled and left in an aisle. It's like, oh, it looks so peaceful. Anyway, so yeah. That's Eilish growing had, up on a farm, huh? Yeah, so Eilish had to take that lamb and throw it down the bottom of the field somewhere. The mother is a social worker for everybody at home, so there's really, you know, no one better <laughs> suited to guide the children through this trauma. Should be should be fine in the end. Yeah, she will. She will. But yeah, look, in general, things went pretty good. It's a really good, it's a really good batch of lambs. They've done really well. I've worked my ass off for the last couple of weeks. Um, but I'd be pretty happy with the results so far. Will will a Easter under COVID affect the price of the spring lamb? This is a good question. Uh, I don't know. I mean, the lamb prices have been actually through the roof for the last. I say lamb prices. This is like this is like a real bugbear of mine, right? I say lamb prices. Sheep prices have been absolutely through the roof um, mm -hmm. for the last couple of months. It's like they're gold. I don't. I don't know what the score is. Um, and basically, people were like keeping stores like these older 
I did look I, older sheep, which are like last year's spring lambs, shall we say, that didn't quite make the grade during spring season, like i.e. April to October didn't make the grade. So they kept them over the winter and fattened them up in a shed and they're selling them. They're like have them back on the market and they're making ridiculous money at the moment. And people still refer to it as lamb. And like technically it is. But like for me, if it's not spring lamb, don't eat it because you might be getting like like an older ram and that that stuff tastes gnarly like people don't know but like you don't don't eat lamb out of season guys i i think the irish board bia which is the irish food department or whoever is supposed to be like the marketing people for lamb in ireland have like missed a trick uh you eat lamb from april to october and you eat spring lamb and anything that isn't april to october you should just eat it in a kebab or a burger or something like, or in a jalfrezi, which I just had about a half an hour ago. So, yeah, don't don't eat lamb if it ain't spring lamb. Do you have a this this episode was brought to you by um, <laughs> Association of Irish Lambers? <laughs> Lambers, what's the what's the second term? Uh, uh, this is brought to you by the. County Carlow Sheep Producers Group. Um, my dad is in a my dad is in a group of producers. I suppose I'll be in the same group of producers uh, in a few months. We shall see. And this is are they mostly for the domestic market or are there exports here? A lot of exports. Or is that all out of your hands? You sell to a you sell to a kind of logistics firm, an intermediary, and they decide where it goes. Or no, it I mean, well, we actually sell direct to uh, like a meat processing plant a lot of the time. Yeah, we sell, we sell to Keypack. Uh, a lot of the time. I'm actually, the whole industry, I'm a bit bothered by the whole thing. There was a day uh, in the not too distant past where Ireland was full of cooperatives. Um, yeah. You know, a cooperative, whatever. Like uh, there is cooperative animal health, but there used to be like grain, like cooperatives, cereal cooperatives, and also like meat plant cooperatives. It was all over Ireland. But then eventually it became conglomerates and it was all about shareholders as opposed to like real stakeholders farmers and that's why uh you know the prices all of a sudden the it's about profit for the meat plant as opposed to yeah. work working for the farmer and that sucks and that's why i have a bit of a problem with it because all of a sudden all of a sudden like any added value is just being taken away from the farmer. It's like you're mm-hmm. for, you're the farmer is like now the bottom of the chain all of a sudden, and uh, these conglomerates are coining off like and all the profits. It's it's not a real market. It's monopsony. You only have one buyer, right? There's not like a market you can take your lamb to different meat processes. There's not like a you know no, they're not oh, there there are a few, but it's more like a cartel, to be honest. Yeah, they're like, not competing they're against each other. They're not really. They're like, they're like yeah. uh, Comcast and Verizon, I guess, or yeah. whatever your thing is. You know yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's um, there. There, the, the 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 competition is essentially amongst the farmers <laughs> who exactly. are trying trying to like control their costs, knowing they can only get a fixed price from these feckers. Yeah, but those guys are you know they're. Their goal is to extract the maximum surplus between what they finally sell it for and what they pay you guys. Yeah, and then redistribute it to the people who hold equity in the in the 
Exactly. And I hate that shit. Uh, What I will say is as well, there's like an attitude among... Now, there was solidarity last year. I say last year, actually, it was 2019 amongst beef farmers because beef farmers were getting a terrible price for like an absolutely premium product. And they were actually making loss, like you're talking about, like, like you're talking about serious losses for for beef farming in Ireland. And so they started this beef plan movement where they like blockaded all the factories and stuff. And like a lot of people were shitting on them, but I'm like, no, this is good. This is actually solidarity. And Mm -hmm. like there's a kind of a in Ireland, like the culture among farmers has become this kind of thing where it's like a nod and a wink and you're kind of trying to do a side deal with the factory where they're like, oh, I get this much per pound of my meat. And then, you know, your neighbor might not get the same and you don't, you're not perfectly clear about it. And there's a bit of wheeling and dealing. And like, that's why, like, I think that's why my dad got into a producer's group because he was just like, no, there's a certain amount of solidarity between all of Mm -hmm. these people and we get our price and our price is negotiated for us and it's a certain cut above what most people get um because they hold like a little bit of power because they hold so much produce but um there needs to be more solidarity there needs to be more solidarity the irish farmers association is a bit of a like sham really um my dad would have been very active in it back in the days you know would have done the marching and the sleepovers and they gave him like some award a couple of years ago for like his lifetime of activism, which no I don't know. I didn't like fucking like I never red, saw my red John before red there John. was red Mick. It seems <laughs> yeah, like who would have thunk Good it? Man. Good man. I guess I would have thunk it if I had ever thought about it. Well, uh, Jesus. Yeah. So anyway, that's my thoughts on that. I uh, to be honest, I haven't really engaged with the politics too much. Um. So Biden, his what's his first hundred days going to look like? Um, he's done some reasonably surprisingly cool things with executive action and stuff. Now some of it's a bit symbolic, you know, and so like there'll be something about like not uh, allowing new federal land to be used for like mining, essentially like leasing federal land to an oil yeah. company to mine on, but there's already a bunch of like pre-existing contracts that they can still fulfill, you know? So it's a bit symbolic, but in other instances, they've done, they've done some pretty, pretty cool stuff. Um, and you know, the, the stimulus that they've, they've proposed is, is reasonably decent. One of the child tax credit things would, would genuinely bring down child poverty in this country by 50%. Which that's would huge. Be, that's absolutely yeah, huge. and it would be wonderful. And um, the problem is, um, within the Senate, there's something called a, a filibuster. Yep. Um, which is really dumb, and essentially it means if you don't have sixty votes, so if you don't have a sixty percent majority on a piece of legislation, the minority party can kind of block it for certain kinds of legislation, um, and. This is like an old kind of gentleman's agreement type thing that the Democrats could just annul and then push forward with their agenda. But some people in their caucus are hesitant to do so because whatever, they're pussies or they're um, traditionalists or, you know, whatever it might be. And so if they don't get rid of that, 
and they try to negotiate legislation with the Republicans, then this stimulus and that big child tax credit and everything else is going to get whittled, whittled down. It's going to suck. And at that point, they can use the budget reconciliation process, which our boy Bernie controls to just, you know, do what they want with the money, sort of, which is not the worst outcome. But again, like the longer this goes on, yeah. the more people are like, you promised X, Y, Z when we voted you guys in. People are yeah. suffering right now and we need action. Um, and so I don't know. I've been I've been surprised by, uh, you know, in certain ways, he's still Joe Biden and still fetishizes bipartisanism and other things of that nature in other ways he's like seems to have learned from the mistakes of the obama administration and they're like trying to do big bold things that are proudly government-led we're not going to try and like hide the way we help people (laughs) they're like i think he did something about establishing like essentially like a climate um like essentially like a, it would be kind of employing people to green, you know, whatever infrastructure and buildings, retrofitting stuff. And the idea would be to, to like employ people directly as like you did under new deal FDR kind of legislation. And that stuff is going to be really sense. popular. That's good. Cause stuff. people are like, yeah, yeah, that's when the fucking Democrats got me a job when I was down on my knees. Yeah, you know, it's exactly, it's an easy win. And so, that's been good to see, but uh, early Kam- days yet. Kamiri ha- didn't he have some statement where uh, he's got he's uh, wants to make the government fleet all electric, all American made electric. Yeah, is Elon going to uh, get on in on that one? <laughs> I'm, I'm sure he will. There's other companies that um, essentially like tr- uh, what would be the word um, transform a, a combustion engine vehicle into. Uh, an electric or a hybrid one and so i think yeah I th- i'm sure that's like the next new space to open up for capital accumulation you know you, they always kind of so the logic behind when like a government privatizes ass actually like um the profit rate has collapsed in other areas of the economy and there need to open up new spaces that can be taken into private hands that you can make money on right so you privatize your health system your education system whatever yeah. it might be and like electrifying your entire government fleet of vehicles is both like ecologically necessary, but it also will be like a, a boom for those in the space. So I think it, that'll be get divvied up between the car makers themselves. You know, Tesla has a head start for now, but all, all like Ford, GM, all of them have invested a ton of money recently, as has like overseas, you know, the Volkswagen and all those guys. Um, uh, and then there's there's other firms that that retrofit um, combustion engine vehicles for uh, or trans transfer them over kind of to a, an electric or hybrid system and and I'm sure they'll get a piece too. Um, but you know it's it's big business, um, but it's it's the kind of ambitiousness that that you need. Now hopefully there's follow up. You know we had these. Paris Accords where like, you know, Obama pledges to do X, Y, Z, and then we're six years past and yeah. it's no not even near what like the 
the trend line you'd need to be on to reach yeah. the eventual pledge of a 2030. And that's the only danger. So like Democrats sometimes when they're doing big stuff, like they want to get the minimum wage to $15. Yeah. But when? Five years from now. Five years from now, they might get wiped the heck out of government and then another Trump guy is just going to be like, no, I'm canceling that. You know what I mean? Like you need to do stuff like yeah. quick. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. We'll and see. your old, your old dollar is uh, your old dollary do or whatever you want to call it is is in the shit at the minute. It's not it's not trading yeah. very well internationally. And and no. I think I think the fact that you like this is the I'm going to say the problem. But like you guys printed so much money in the last twelve months. Um, like you might run into a bit of problem there. You, you're not heading for like Zimbabwe hyperinflation, but like surely something's something might have to give, you know? Well, the question is, I, I inflation. I think people used to think it was like a generalized phenomenon where prices of consumer facing goods go up. Yeah. But I think, you know, what we've had, it seems to me, is like, okay, that, that money you just referred to has been absorbed almost entirely into equities markets. So, like, stock prices have been inflated, yeah. which means that people who own those have gotten richer. But you haven't seen a, a knock-on effect to, like, the real economy in terms of, of, of inflation. Um, and some, you know, a bit of inflation is necessary. Oh, you yeah, know, no, I know. I would agree. I would agree uh, absolutely because obviously it makes debt less valuable as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean like, and like uh, less less deflation. Yeah, yeah, deflation is like economically the devastator. So this yeah. is like I don't know what you guys. I think everyone assumes um, that like the precursors to the Nazis was hyperinflation, and that's not true. It was deflation, you know, and, and that kind of like with prices decline. That means industries are going to retract because, you know, it. Yeah. Oh, so, hang, hang on. I just lost you for a second. Say that again. Well, I, when, prices decline. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that means like, okay, uh, if I'm running a meat plant, say, and prices are declining, you're going to end up retracting your own operations because, you know, your, your covering costs are X and you can only get X price in market. And it, it sets off this kind of um, cycle that is, you know, really corrosive. So like, deflation is really the, the thing you'd want to avoid. Um, but yeah, it's, it's going to be really interesting. I mean, because like the money supply has grown by just like amounts that were unfathomable, you know, really. Um, yeah. And the balance sheet for like, central banks across the world and the feds bounce like it's just like it's enormous um i mean it's really just one stop to socialism really you know they all all these corporate bonds like let's just turn the whole thing over you know it's really um that kind of concentration is, is really you know uh, caters to a swift little just turn of Turn of the uh, captain at the ship, and we're good to go. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's—I don't know. It'll be a funny decade, I think. Um, and I—I I don't know. I, Europe. I've—I've read some things um, where the outlook isn't super chipper. So 
No, I mean, look, the whole Corona thing has been a hames anyway. Just like it won't. How do you say this? It's trends were probably heading a certain direction anyway. And I think this is just probably a catalyst or like an accelerant for whatever Mm -hmm. problems were down the pipe anyway. Um, Mm -hmm. So we shall see how that goes, you know. Um, Look, I, 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 all of all of the sort of developed Western world is going to run into all kinds of trouble uh, at the tail end of Corona. Um, you know, come September, people are going to like look at the balance sheets and be like, oh, shit. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. But I think what what is good is like, um, it seems like these economists that have been leading everyone else around by, you know, the fucking strings for the last... 30 years really and had convinced all these politicians of like the dire consequences of doing xyz they presented these as like there's natural laws and if you do this then x happens and i think what's been revealed is like oh no you can just end child poverty like right now yeah fairly simple policy interventions you know or you know, you could end global poverty shit. Like none of these things are like um, they're, they're political choices, really. And I think that's what's become apparent with the scale of the interventions that have been summoned um, with COVID. Is like yeah, you can kind of just like create new facts on the ground, create a new society if you have the the will. Yeah, know, so. absolutely, absolutely. Uh, so that's that's uh, yeah. That's almost good news, Colin. Yeah. What the hell happened to you? <laughs> <laughs> what the hell happened? Look at the joy on my face. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I don't know. I guess uh, I didn't see the pool, but they got a win today. So uh, they, were, they were excellent. Liverpool were excellent tonight. They absolutely hammered um, Spurs. Like the score was 3-1, but like they were just by far the better team by far 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 the better team plus it's nice like um trank got a goal bobby got a goal manny got a goal salah got a goal as well but it was ruled out because it hit bobby's hand on the halfway line like way in, mm-hmm. in the in the lead up to it but um yeah you couldn't speaking of yeah speaking of bobby okay so yeah. we're coming up on the 40th anniversary of our lad Bobby Sands getting elected into Are British we? Parliament oh my God, while yeah. on hunger strike yeah. in prison. Yeah. I bring this up yes. because in July, they're scheduled to have elections for the presidency of the Palestinian Authority. Yes. Okay. Now, Marwan, no, I should say before anything else, these elections will almost certainly not be fair and free. <laughs> so they'll probably be staged to make Mahmoud Abbas return to power as he approaches his ninth decade, or I guess, how do you, his 10th decade on the planet would be his 90s, right? Yeah. I don't know. But there's this guy currently, his, his name is Marwan Barghouti. Yeah. And he... the. Probably. So he was a young guy with Fatah who was very involved with the first Intifada, which was this enormous organizing effort, this kind of like collective protest, strikes, all this kind of like associational activity. 
And then in the second intifada, he was likely involved, and by that he was probably the leader of the Al-Aqsa Martyrs Brigade. At least that's what Israel charged with him with. Yeah. And they tried to kill him a bunch of times. They killed a lot of people around him. They eventually captured him and tried him in Israeli courts. He didn't defend himself because he didn't recognize the legitimacy of the courts, as we know our boys (laughs) up north used to do, too. Yeah. And he's been in prison ever since. Now, fun fact, I'm almost sure I played basketball with his son in Ramallah, who was a sad kind of guy, as you might imagine. His dad's been in prison for 18 years. But Marwan, in polling, would almost certainly walk in this election to become the president of the PA from his prison cell. Um, he's hugely respected across the ideological spectrum. He's organized all, there's a lot of like political protests in the prison system because so many, yeah, there's so many political prisoners. Um, and there was a big hunger strike in 2017, which he was prominently involved with. And so it, it seems he's mulling a run. Um, that might be a negotiating tactic with Fatah to try and do something. But if there's uh, if there's a better way of showing the inherent illegitimacy and farce of this two-state solution, then a guy in prison <laughs> convicted on terrorism-related charges becoming the president of the quote unquote Palestinian government. Well, I don't see it. So I'm hoping, <laughs> I'm hoping he runs. I'm hoping he wins. Uh, I just, I think that would be, that's what, that's what I want for 2021. So, oh, yeah. oh we'll Jesus. See. That'd be an interesting fly in the ointment. Yeah. Um, yeah. Joe's not moving, uh, the old, uh, uh, whatchamacallit, the embassy. embassy. No. no. No, so what people don't understand is that our Congress for like 35 years, every year voted to move the embassy to Jerusalem <laughs> and it's only presidents would veto it because of like some kind of protocol or opprobrium with the diplomatic process. Yeah. But the political will to stop this like doesn't exist. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. So of course they weren't going to reverse pivot and, um, I, you know, I think on a lot of the only, I, I just, before turning, so the Secretary of State is kind of squirrely. Don't like him. Don't like a lot of the guys. But there's one incredibly decent man named Robert Malley who currently okay. runs the International Crisis Group. And he's like, he was a brilliant scholar. He's been involved with negotiations. Everyone I know, and I've known some people that were involved with those negotiations, including yeah. the Oslo ones for Palestine and later... Robert wasn't involved with Oslo, but he was involved with the Clinton kind of stuff in the late 90s. And everyone, including the Palestinians, <laughs> this one guy was like, man, Dennis Ross, who was Clinton's main negotiator, he's like, he's a fucking snake and a piece of shit. <laughs> but Robert Malley is a gent and a really smart guy. And he was like, the only lady, he was like, best dude, a genuine, genuine article. And he's meant to handle... Uh, Iran stuff for Biden. Oh, please, God. And there's been a massive smear campaign against him run by like these like neocon pro-Israel guys, whatever. And it's just like 
is patently absurd because he's like nothing but a thoughtful scholarly diplomat type guy. Like, you know, he, he has, yes, he does like, um, like read about Iran and like understands their history and like speaks to them like they're other human beings because he, his presupposition is that if you don't treat them as like an inherent evil, you might be able to kind of find a, um, a better common rational ground. solution. Yeah. A common ground somewhere, yeah. And they're like, um, no, I heard he works for Khomeini. He might even be uh, an intelligence asset of oh, Iran. You know, and it's so, Come here, it's Mali. Like, is, should he be an O'Malley? <laughs> I don't know, actually. He, was, he grew up in Egypt. I think he, I think he's Jewish, but um, he grew up in Egypt. His like Arabic is like fluent. He's a brilliant guy. So anyway, leave the dude alone. Let him do his job. We finally get one good guy in there. Just and this is what you treat him like. It's really, really just absurd. Ah oh, well, look, you've got you're full of semi good news here, Colin. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I could take us into darker places if you want. It's no problem. Uh, yeah. yeah so yeah. what if what else is happening in the world that i have like i have been busy looking up a sheep's hole i haven't seen a whole lot of it so what else is happening in the world <laughs> um our man bobby wine in uganda i think is still under house arrest unfortunately um that sucks uh what else sucks let me think AstraZeneca, uh, that sucks. Yeah, well, also, I don't know, now I'm kind of, this is all very confusing. I think it seems like there was terrible reporting. Um, so the German press, and, this, and then this got picked up by the English press, were claiming that um, this vaccine was had a 6% efficacy rate for over 65-year-old people. Oh, that's not what it was. It was like 6% of the people in the study were over 65. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like that's a colossal fuck up. Um, especially, I don't know if you guys have like people that are dubious on vaccines, but. Uh, yeah, Jimmy's, Jimmy's had it. Our uncle Jimmy's had it. I think he's had the AstraZeneca one. Oh, yeah. Okay. Here's one for you. I think, oh, look, basically, uh, look, so it's how it's being kind of painted for us at the moment with AstraZeneca in Europe. So the EU bought like 80 million doses or whatever, or whatever, 80 million doses before the end of March, I think, or April maybe was the promised amount. And AstraZeneca were producing in plants in the UK and Mm. in Belgium. And basically, uh, uh, everything produced within the UK seems to be staying within the UK. <laughs> so that's like, uh, you know, Little Britain having one last fucking, one last dig at the EU, I think, uh, on, on departure. And um, instead of 80 million, it's going to be like 31 million doses or something. And now we've I got also- the, the EU uh, inspecting the the continental European plants, uh, just making sure they're not like, I'd imagine making sure they're not like just shipping millions out the back door to fucking Abu Dhabi or Saudi Arabia or somewhere for big wadges of money. I don't know. Oh, they already have their supply taken care of, my friend. 
But yeah, I, I did read that Oxford was initially going to essentially give their patent for yeah. the vaccine to any producer who wanted it. Oh, wow. And the Gates Foundation convinced them to do this partnership with AstraZeneca. And so if they had done the former, that would mean like, you know, any generic producer in Jordan yeah. or anywhere could be making this drug right now. Um, so. So what's the logic behind it? Uh, Jesus, I don't know. I find it odd. Maybe there is one. I care not speculate. I care just leave that half factoid for the listeners to run away with and grow conspiratorial. But <laughs> I don't know. It is. It's probably pretty shitty. Um, it probably is. But I mean, there are reasons. There are reasons for everything. And sometimes they're not the most nefarious reason. I think from what I do understand, I think the, the AstraZeneca is selling their vaccine at a, at a considerably lower rate than like yes. Moderna. Yeah. And so maybe I'm, this is the deal in Gates's head is like, now I would say just like give it to the world, let them make it. Like we need more vaccines fast. But there is a, there, the there is a group that's um, buying lots of that vaccine for developing nations. Yeah, the Covax thing. Yeah, I know, yeah. but it's it's gonna. They're not. The projections are still like it's gonna be like four or five years before you get everybody in, in these parts of the world vaccinated. So. Sure, the pandemic will be over by then. <laughs> please, please let the pandemic be over by then. Well, I miss, now, I miss now live we music. Need booster shots, mate. We need booster shots. I'm, I'm, I miss thing. live music so much. I like. I, I was looking at. Um, I was looking at live gigs on YouTube, <laughs> and it was just breaking my heart. Like Jack used to look at uh, um, ACDC live. It was his favorite thing to do. Was look at ACDC live when he was about a year and a half to two years old. ACDC live from River Plate 2009. It's like his favorite gig um, and it's awesome. And I was looking at it today and I was like, oh, Jesus, to have that many people in a crowd, like just going bonkers to ACDC. Oh, Jesus. Well. <sighs> Do you know, I miss it. Like I'd, I'd happily, you know, I'd go to like, you know, in my slightly more middle age period i might whinge a bit about you know these big outdoor concerts and stuff but god i would love i would love to be at a big outdoor concert i'd love to be in a, like a small sweaty club like listening to billy bragg or some local band or whatever the hell i honestly honestly i like like the rock and roll industry and the the live performance industry is on its knees like it's not on its knees it's actually like pretty much dead they're all just like you know they've either gone and done something else or they're sitting at home on pandemic unemployment payments you know and that's that's awful well maybe they're on the subreddit page wall street bets and maybe <laughs> they're richer than ever now <laughs> so but they but we are not richer culturally for their absence from employment we are for not. certain but that those guys are occasionally quite funny. It's profane, <laughs> but I will say they're quite funny. Uh, anyway, we'll we leave it there. Oh, yeah, I suppose. Sure, why not? I have to go out now and get a couple of baby lambs, some uh, some uh, colostrum. So um, we've been Satan Scholar. Um, yeah, have a good time. Take care. Bye. Bye.